Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBCSN, also Sky Sports UK and in Ireland. Um, major topic in the National Football League in recent days, the comments from Saints quarterback Drew Brees, the reaction to the comments, his apology. He's issued two apologies to the comments that first emerged on Wednesday. There was an important conversation yesterday on Lunch Talk Live between Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy regarding the situation. It was so significant. The issue is so important that we think the appropriate thing to do this morning here on PFT Live is to share the entire conversation with you. So, here is from Thursday's Lunch Talk Live, Mike Tirico with Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy on the Drew Brees situation. Tony, let me just get your reaction to Drew's words and then his response to those words this morning. Well, as we said, we, we have to listen. And uh, one of the things that I'm struck by, that's the first time I've heard the whole quote. And all I heard for uh, many, many hours was just the first part. I disagree with anyone who, who kneels uh, for the national anthem. So hearing the whole thing, I, I feel differently about it. And I'm a friend of Drew Brees as well. And I would love to have a conversation with Drew, and I think I will, and explain to him why I see it as proper. And I, I think a little differently when people kneel. But we've got to be careful. We don't let this whole thing get going in another direction. Uh, and we may disagree. Drew and I may disagree about whether to kneel for the national anthem or stand with my hand over my heart. But we agree on what has to change. And we agree on what we have to do to make our country better. And so we can't be afraid to say what's on our mind. We can't be afraid to listen and disagree and have a civil conversation and move forward. Yes, uh, I'm sure Drew feels like he could have said it a lot differently. And he did apologize for that. And I respect that. And as a Christian, I think that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to accept apologies when they're given uh, from the heart. And, and I believe this was from the heart. 
And I'm glad that you pointed this out, Tony, because it was the same way I felt as uh, our, our group prepared for the show today and played the lengthy soundbite. There were things in there that you hear that you don't hear in the responses from folks. Because Drew started by saying, what I say, what I feel, when the national anthem, he also mentions the civil rights protests of the 60s. This is not defending that Drew was in a space where, one, some of us disagree with him. He's not going to find a lot of the people in his locker room who agree with where his thoughts ended up. But there were parts of that that were said that make sense, that he was completely detached from when people were being critical. And the whole point is exactly what you just said. Nobody wants to listen. Everybody wants to take the soundbite and run with it as if they now have a piece that they can put on their side of the argument. And that's what's not going to get us any deeper in understanding. Where's the value, Tony, right now for all of us as individuals on every side of the issue? And this is not just the race issue. This is economic strife. This is cities. This is everything. The value of learning how to listen and civilly disagree with people and be okay walking away saying, well, you think that, I think that, that's okay. We can move on and not hate each other because we disagree. Yeah. And when I hear the whole comment, I would love to talk to Drew and say, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. Now, here's what I feel when the national anthem is played. And yes, I had um, relatives in the military and I understand all that. But this is not about the military. This is not about the flag. This is about uh, something different. And let's have that discussion. And, you know, we can do that. And we've got to be able to do that if we're going to get this situation solved. The Colin Kaepernick issue will continue to come up for uh, many years and for a variety of reasons. And one of the reasons it's coming up uh, right now, Joe Lockhart, who was working for the National Football League, formerly worked in the White House as a press secretary. He has come out now detached from the NFL and talked about some of the issues and why Colin Kaepernick didn't return to a team along the way over these couple of years. Do you think the Kaepernick protests are now being seen in a different light by people who may be a year or so ago, six months ago, still thought that it was not the right thing to do at that time. I absolutely do think uh, they're seen in a different light now. I'm old enough to remember Muhammad Ali in 1967. And when he did not step forward and go in the service, he was vilified. And many people thought that uh, he, it was un-American. And then Five years later or six years later, at the end of the war, he's looked at completely different and became a hero uh, for those of us standing for human rights. So I think the same thing has happened with, with Colin Kaepernick and not just Colin, but all the guys who were kneeling. We, as we said the other day, we did some shows and talked to young men about why they were kneeling, what their purpose was. And it was beautiful. Uh, but now it's maybe being seen in a different light and maybe understood a little bit better. And that's what we've got to walk through. Vic Fangio, the coach of the Denver Broncos, also made comments about his perception of where racism is in the National Football League right now. He's had to walk back those comments. We'll have to deal with his team in a different way. So, Tony, there are going to be toes stepped on. There are going to be feelings hurt. There are going to be players who you're asking to come together in the spirit of winning a championship and playing successful on-the-field football who are going to have some raw emotions shared. Yeah. How do coaches go about dealing with fractures in their locker room at a time like this, considering what the fracture is going to be because of the race issue? 
You know, I've, I've talked to probably 25 coaches during the last week. Everybody is on these Zoom calls now. They're talking to their team. They're having meetings. Probably the last three days, nobody is discussing X's and O's. Nobody's talking about off-season program. This is what they're talking about. And uh, it has to be this way. And these coaches are saying, men, we've got to stay together. We can't fracture. We, we can't let this fracture us. There are going to be different feelings. There's going to be different ways of approaching this. But we're all on the same page. We want to see America better. We want to see the, the cities that we live in better. And how can we as a team stay together with different ideas, different backgrounds, but the mm -hmm. same goal? We want to win a Super Bowl on the field. We want to make our city a better place to live off the field. How can we do it together? That's what coaches have to emphasize. What about owners? What about Commissioner Roger Goodell? They're the ones who we look for for statements, and maybe it's a financial donation here, but that, that helps. There's no doubt. In every cause, that helps. But the real action is going to be part of the legacy here. What about the voice of ownership and how important that is and what they say and do, more importantly, right now? And that's just, not just football, by the way. That's every sport across the board. I think that is so huge. And that was one of my criticisms during the, this whole kneeling process that we had a couple of years ago. I felt like, and I said on our show, if I was still in the game, if I was still coaching, I would ask our owner uh, to come down and meet with our players. Let's talk about what's on their mind. Hey, if we don't want them kneeling for the national anthem, let's not take that one and a half minutes before the game. Let's give them a platform. Uh, I'll give up. 20 minutes of my press conference time will our owner facilitate that for our players and give them some time maybe on our local tv stations to talk about what's on their mind why they're hurting and what suggestions they have but i, I think our ownership has to be involved and they have to become part of the solution if you're sitting in that head coach's chair right now do you sense that this is going to be a real major issue to deal with come the fall when we get to how will players react for the national anthem and how your team's going to try to find a way to stay together and still do your job while still giving everyone the space for what is a more powerful and louder voice on social issues than it ever has been for athletes. I think it absolutely is going to be critical for coaches to deal with this. Uh, the, the talent doesn't win in the National Football League unity and togetherness wins and so if you're not unified and you're not together uh you're going to have a tough time functioning th this year so if i'm a head coach right now that is the first thing i'm talking about with our players how can we come together and be unified as we go forward how can we have some action steps and some goals in mind but let's not get fractured let's stay together as a group of of young men wanting the country to be better and we talked about this last week, but those who weren't with us on Friday when we had the initial conversations. I'm thinking, Tony, about what the actual betterment of a city can look like with athletes who represent those cities. How can a player who may spend three or four years in Indianapolis or Tampa or Miami or Detroit or Los Angeles, how can they during their time use the fact that a lot of people know them because of the number they wear and the catches they make to make that city or their city back home where they're from a better place in terms of race relations and conversations. So much of it is uh, the, the 
emphasis that we put on it. And uh, I, I know in Tampa and Indianapolis, we had a number of guys who did awesome things out in the community. And we, we covered some young men at different teams who were trying to be part of the solution and going and visiting police uh, precincts and trying to pull teen groups together and visit there and have the police come in and talk uh, to these young people. And there, there's so many things that can be done, but just using that voice and that personality, uh, I, I think we're going to have a number of creative things that, that can be done, but it's it's got to start in ways that we can change hearts and we can change attitudes. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what our players are going to come up with. I think we'll we'll have some things that we'll really be proud of, Mike. Can, can I throw this out there? I'm just curious if I was uh, somebody in PR or community relations with your team and I came to you as a coach and, and threw this suggestion out. Uh, so often we hear about players visiting with police, players visiting with teens who are in areas where there has been a high percentage of crime and trying to teach them a, a better way, a more successful way, a, a way to be law-abiding and contributing citizens. What if the players and their visibility and their star factor are used to speak to CEOs, CFOs, corporate leaders in those cities and maybe help explain the gap to them because of their athletic prowess and their recognition, maybe that group can message to the leaders of these companies who can lead their companies and the employees there to help make a better society. To me, sometimes those leaders going down to their groups might help build better communities outside of the teen group that has been in a tough spot in a tough neighborhood yeah. that we're trying to get out of crime's way and get into education's way. No question. Those are the things that we have to think of. Think outside the box. And uh, I know in Tampa, um, that, that is going on uh, quite, quite a bit. The, the mm -hmm. Tampa Bay Lightning are doing a, a great job of trying to facilitate that. Derek Brooks happens to be uh, with them. And so I, I'm, I get a lot of inside information from Derek. But just what you're saying, community, uh, yes, government, but also our corporate leaders and, and trying to bring everybody together. It's another step. And there are many uh, answers out there. And I think the number one thing is to listen. And uh, we love listening to you. Thanks for being so generous with your time, both publicly and privately for uh, so many of us who are friends and for coaches around the National Football League. Uh, we appreciate it. As always, Tony, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Mike. Great to be with you. All right. Excellent conversation between Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy coming up on Lunch Talk Live today at noon Eastern with a 3 p.m. Eastern re-air. Joe Namath. Lovey Smith, Drew Gooden, Townsend Bell, and Brittany Erton. That's coming up noon Eastern on NBCSN. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this, including a portion of a conversation that Big Cat had earlier this week on Pardon My Take with former NFL running back Arian Foster. That's right after this, right here on PFT Live. I hear that a lot from racist people. And they'll say, I shouldn't have to feel guilty about being white. Right. I agree. You're conflating guilt with empathy. That's mm -hmm. all it is. Like, it, saying, I see black people struggling, right? Or I see the plight against a people of color is not the same as saying, I'm, uh, it's wrong for me to be white in this country. Like, nobody's saying that's a straw man. Nobody is, nobody is propping that up as an argument at all. They're conflating guilt with empathy. 
Aaron Foster on Pardon My Take earlier this week. I saw a clip also that the PMT Twitter account pushed out there regarding Aaron Foster and how his own experience and the experience of other African-Americans shape how they view the flag. And when we juxtapose that against, you know, the folks who have had a good experience in this country, it's easy to feel positivity. It's easy to feel pride in a country that has given you so many good things. If you flip it around and you have spent your life in a country where you have been mistreated, family members have been mistreated, maybe an acquaintance or a family member has been killed at the hands of police, you feel differently. And it is an eye-opener for a lot of us who hear the words, we hear the music, and it stirs a certain type of emotion for others, it stirs a different emotion, Big Cat. And I thought Aaron Foster was very eloquent in how he explained that. He was. And, and the part that um, put a lot of it into perspective for a lot of people, I think, you know, I got the, the most feedback from was Aaron Foster talked about, you know, white people when they want to figure out, oh, my family's from Ireland and England and Scotland or Russia or wherever it may be. And they trace their lineage generation after generation after generation he he told us he's like i can't do that my 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 lineage stops at, at a slave plantation and and fosters a name that was given to my family that's not my real name so what i can stand on is different than what everyone else can stand on and that history you know that relationship that he has with america is different and i think understanding that at a deeper level because that's really where the problem has, has come out. There's deeper problems. But the problem with the, the Colin Kaepernick protests is people not understanding that the flag and the national anthem don't mean the same thing to everyone. And it's never been about that. And it's never been about that. And, and, and what Arian Foster is trying to explain to people is it, kneeling is not about the flag. And even if it were, when you say you're disrespecting the flag and you're disrespecting the national anthem, there's a different feeling for everyone in their relationship with this country because this country has not been uh, right for minorities for a long, long time, you know, for the history of this country. So it's just having that perspective, understanding it from a different point of view. I think we need more of that. People need to listen more. They need to understand more because it's really easy to stay in your bubble and it's really easy to just listen to the people that you know and listen to people that look like you and talk like you. And then it's like, hey, Maybe sometimes we need to understand what it's like to be a minority in this country and how difficult that is. The other one I had, Mike, was Booger McFarland said on today's show, because we talked to him about Drew Brees. He said Drew Brees went to sleep on Wednesday night and he was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable because the world felt like it was falling on him. And he's like, you know what that is? That's like being a black person in America, feeling that uncomfortableness, you know, waking up in the morning and being like uncomfortable. He's like that he lived a night that of everyone else that he is basically not understanding. So having those voices and understanding the the issue at a deeper level, I think is the only way we're going to move forward. And I think discomfort is the key word because when these issues have come up in the past, whether it was stick to sports or don't disrespect the flag or the military or the nation, there were convenient roadblocks to prevent those of us who may become uncomfortable with these discussions, with these thoughts, with forcing ourselves to ask the hard question, is our country really as good as it claims to be? Does it treat everyone the way that the founding documents purport 
to treat everyone equal justice. All men are created equal. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Are there flaws there that need to be addressed? And I think that that lack of comfort is critical to recognizing the need for change and finally embarking on it. Colts GM Chris Ballard, who has been around professional football for years, very candid yesterday in a video conference about his own ability to kind of wall off and compartmentalize and live his life as a white American without fully appreciating the perspective, the struggles, and the discomfort that minorities have to deal with every single day. Here's Ballard from yesterday. I can't sit here and remain silent because that's exactly what we've done every time our black community screams and yells for help. We have to end social injustices and racial inequality. We have to end the police violence against our black communities. You know, black lives matter. I don't understand why that's so freaking hard for the white community to say. Black lives matter. I've been ignorant. I've been ignorant to the real problem. Um, And I'm ashamed of that. I just came to the realization here over the last 10 days with some really hard, difficult conversations that we've had as an organization, as a team, with my family, with my sons. Uh, And I've been ignorant to the real problem. See, this is not a black problem. This is a white problem. This This is an issue that we have to talk about. And we can't, we can't sugarcoat it. We can't sugarcoat our way out of this. We can't go back into our bubble because that's what we've always done. We've always gone right back into our, bo- into our bubble and we've never really listened. We haven't listened. I haven't listened. We haven't listened as a country. White America refuses to listen. We want to keep things the same and it can't or we'll continue down the same path we're continuing down. And that has to change and nothing will change until we do that. I'm ashamed of that. That was awesome. And I already had a ton of respect for Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, but that's the kind of candor. That's the kind of, and you could, you could see he's upset with himself for allowing so much time to go by without waking up to what is happening in front of him, what is happening around him. And it is easy for us to get caught up in our lives, the work that's in front of us, the family issues we deal with, the things we like to spend our free time doing. Days become weeks, weeks become months, months become years, and and we like it when things don't don't pierce through our routine. Well, this yeah. is a time where we have to we have to break from our routine. We have to be the ones who tear the walls down and pay attention to what's going on with other people. And and I think that what Ballard said was spot on, and it's very inspiring. And I hope we all take it to heart. Yeah, it, it's the saying like, "Can we just get back to normal?" Uh, that's that's our reaction whenever there is some uh, big story, or you know, the pandemic is also part of this. But it, you know, it has led to some frustration of, "Can we get back to normal? Can we get back to normal?" Well, no, we can't. That's the point is that it will we, we need to not be no. It needs to not get back to normal. It needs to be uncomfortable and things need to change. And so that's our initial reaction. I think a lot of times just be like, oh, well, if something's hard, let's just get back to normal. And that's not going to happen here. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. And if you felt uncomfortable in the last week and a half, that's a good thing. That means that maybe you're thinking about this uh, and it clear that Chris Ballard is doing that. 
And all these devices that have been used in the past to force things back to normal, I think are going to be failing miserably. We mentioned earlier, stick to sports. No one, no one is giving that any credence anymore. The whole idea of don't disrespect the flag or the military, and that's what the conversation is about. That wall has come down. The different things that get thrown at me all the time. You're woke. Well, good, good. Now, you should be too, right? Social justice warrior. How is that a bad term? That people try. God forbid that there some, be somebody who is sufficiently motivated to go on the offensive to try to make things things better to try to achieve social justice for all these things these labels that people use to kind of smack folks down and get them to quit talking about issues so they can go back to normal so they can retreat to their bubbles so they can be undisturbed and not uncomfortable by the things going on around them those it's that that to me it's laughable how quickly those defenses have disintegrated in the wake of what's happened the last 10 days yeah, but it took a long time, Mike. I mean, that's the thing is that, that in 2016, I keep going back to 2016, but this was a an issue that was put in front of America in 2016 in, in, a, in a sports lens with Colin Kaepernick. And it's happened before. Obviously, there's been uh, some great protests before, some great people who've spoken up before, but this was when it was the hot button issue. It was a national issue that everyone was talking about. And all those things worked, Mike. So it's not that far. You know, it's four years removed. So it's. Uh, I, I think there's there's an element of it's it's moving in the right. Things feel like they move in the right direction. And I know that this last week and a half has been sad and tragic a lot of ways. And obviously George Floyd, like that video is is almost impossible to watch because of how sad and tragic it is. But there's also been some really good things that have come out of this, and it feels like there's been some small victories. And carrying that momentum forward is what it's all about. I think in recent years, it's been just a quiet, gradual shifting of the tectonic plates. What's gone on over the last week and a half is an earthquake and aftershocks that will last until people are satisfied that there is true change. And it's not something that's going to go away quickly. I feel like it is a permanent adjustment to our reality. This is the second kind of permanent adjustment to our reality that we've had this year from the virus now to this, where I think that whether you like it or not, and if you don't like it, get out of the way, change is coming and the change is overdue. And I feel like enough people are motivated, enough people are awake, enough people are willing to get out of their own bubbles to recognize that we are still very far away from being the nation that was envisioned 244 years ago. We're going to take a break. When we return, NBC's Super Bowl week in America continues and it celebrates the 1985 Bears. We're going to talk about that team next here on PFT Live. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again. Go for the United States. Unbelievable. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. 
That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. We were going to annihilate whoever it was that we were playing against. And all it took is that first sack. And after that, it was a race to the quarterback. Dan and Richard and Steve and... I mean, everybody was talking about who's getting there first. And we're arguing in we're arguing in the huddle about who's getting there first. It's Mike Singletary. The 85 Bears, they get the showcase on the big network on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Bears, Patriots, Super Bowl 20. Spoiler alert, the Patriots don't score very many points. Tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, it's Super Bowl 23, 49ers and Bengals. We've got a draft coming up later inspired by the game-winning touchdown in that one. But those 85 Bears, one of my favorite quotes about that, that team, and I think it came from Richard Dent, that Mike Ditka is the reason why the Bears won one Super Bowl, and Mike Ditka is the reason why the Bears won one Super Bowl. Yeah, and uh, Dan Hampton's a great quote, so that will be a great broadcast with Mike Singletary and Dan Hampton. I mean, Mike Singletary, he could he could motivate anyone. I feel like every time he talks... Uh, not, not, not a Texas remember, high school football team, apparently. Well, or the 49ers, I guess, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Vernon Davis, no, can't win with him, can't, you know, can't play with him, can't have it. I love that speech. Something about Mike Singletary and the way he talks about football uh, makes you just want to, like, tear up. He loves football so much. How? My question to you, Mike, is uh, how many years until over-under the Bears uh, win another Super Bowl? Or are we destined to only have one Super Bowl for the rest of time i don't know you, you got that under. one don't be greedy you got one there's yeah, some right, franchises right. out there that just right. want one name name one uh the browns the browns very much oh, okay. were just the like browns one. what you're thinking of Among no, others. What, what do you say if i gave you 20 if i said 2035 will the bears win a super bowl by 2035 that is 15 years from now that's half of the league i'll go under I flip a coin. I mean, you know, because here's so the thing. Sad. In in theory, in theory, everyone should win it once every 30 years, but we know that's not how it works. And unless and it, you have reason to think that the seeds are in place for, for a, a, you know, a team that's going to contend, contend every year, not just have one out of three or four years where the planets line up and they get to the playoffs, that's not a recipe for winning a Super Bowl. It's it's what we we talked about last week, the teams that are committed to winning Super Bowls, although – I was gonna say if you had to if you had to pick like a list of teams that will win a Super Bowl before twenty thirty five, it would be like you know the Steelers. I would say the I actually would throw the Giants probably in there, the Cowboys. But then if you pick the Cowboys in nineteen ninety six and said I'll give you to twenty twenty, uh, and they don't win, so that's just how sports work. It's crazy. It's crazy yeah. to think about how long teams and franchises can go with droughts. 
I'll give you to 2020, and they won't even get to an NFC Championship game. Who would have saw that coming? Sean right? Payton's quote from a few weeks ago that that there are only 10 or 11 relevant teams in any given year. I mean, that, that, that applies. There are only – and it changes, and we tried to identify – I think it was Sims and I, which teams are the relevant teams and which ones aren't. But, but you know, the teams that get it, they know that, that roughly a third of the league is in true contention any given year at any given time. And some of those teams are in contention every year, regardless of who the players are, regardless of who the coaches are. They just are organizations that have it figured out, and they will always be in the discussion and in the conversation for a potential Super Bowl appearance or championship. All right, let's take a break. I mentioned Super Bowl twenty-three. That was the John Taylor touchdown catch after Joe Montana pointed out John Candy was sitting in the stands. We're going to have a draft inspired by that moment, not John Candy, but John Taylor. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. We don't do much talking. It's eye-to-eye contact. It's repetition. It's, it's doing things over and over during the week. Uh, he could read my body language. I could read his body language. So then we didn't have to voice anything. You know, we could just look at each other. And when I came to the line of scrimmage, if, if I saw man-to-man, I knew that Joe, that he was going to, uh, you know, put the ball in a, in a position where I could score and I joke around about this all the time. I said, if Joe was a female, we probably would have dated. <laughs> we had such great chemistry. <laughs> Jerry Rice, longtime member of the San Francisco 49ers, and you'll see Super Bowl 23 tonight on NBCSN. That was capped by a touchdown catch, not by Jerry Rice, but by John Taylor. So today's draft, the all-time other guys in NFL history, that second guy, that guy that you ordinarily don't think about who was a key part of a given team, championship, whatever the case may be. Big Cat, no trivia question today. I'm just going to – I'm in a good mood today under the circumstances. I'm, I'm going to let you go. have the first pick. I'm going to let you go. You're going to – oh, wow. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to – All right. My I'm, first I'm, pick – Wait a minute. I thought you said you are going to let me go. I know. I'm going to let you go. go. That was a little mind trick right there. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I'm, are I'm you, not going – all right, I'm going to go with Reggie Wayne, Indianapolis Colts receiver, the other guy to Marvin Harrison. What? What? Nothing. I'm just getting you off your game right away. It's great. That's all right. I actually prepared for this when you didn't. I wasn't the one who asked the producers during the last commercial, send me a list of possibilities. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ready for this. Reggie Wayne. The guy's going to make it to the Hall of Fame, right? I don't uh, think he's an other he's, guy. I think everyone had, everyone knew Reggie Wayne. But he still is. The, but he still is the other guy. It's Marvin Harrison. Okay. He's the other guy. You can't have two guys. He's the other guy. Okay. Reggie Wayne's okay. the other guy to Marvin Harrison. So then, would, if you disagree- would, would under would under those rules, Chris Carter be the other guy to Randy Moss? Potentially, if you want to pick Chris Carter, potentially hmm. you could do no, that. that you could do that. That won't be my. I think it's actually a good pick. Um, I'll go uh, another great player, great other guy, Harry Carson. Other guy to LT on those giant giant defenses. So that's my first other guy. Great pick by me. That's actually not a bad pick. I hadn't considered Harry Carson. But again, I can make the same argument you did. The guy, uh, a Hall of Famer in his own right. How can he be the other guy if he's a Hall of Famer, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I like that. I like that. All right. Um, I got a bunch of different directions I can go. And the question is, how many of these do I hold? Because you're probably not going to take them. Um, I I tell you, the first one that sticks out to me, the classic other guy who, when he had a chance to be the guy, fell flat on his face, Alvin Harper 
from the Cowboys of the early 90s. Remember Alvin Harper, the other guy to Michael Irvin, the guy who would step up with the big catch. I think he had a huge catch in one of the NFC Championship games against the 49ers. I kind of have a vague memory of that, seeing him make the big catch from Troy Aikman. He signed somewhere as a free agent. I can't even remember who he signed with. That's how that's that's how poorly it went for him when he finally got a chance to be the guy. Was it Tampa Bay? Let's let's uh, let me know, uh, control room, on where Alvin Hyper finally signed. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, yeah. Never did anything as the number one guy, but was the perfect other guy to Michael Irvin. Okay, good pick. I actually I'll, I'll let me throw out an other guy. I'll, I'll take a pause in my next pick, but let me throw out an other guy that I don't think is another guy, but I just want to throw out for discussion. Would you say that uh, who would be the other guy in Keenan McCardell and uh, Jimmy Smith? Who would be the other guy? Are they both the guy? It's kind of they're they're both. I mean, Smith had more production. Um, but it's not like a but huge. Keenan had a cooler name. Keenan had a it's, cooler name. Well, is that that's a factor in your thought process? I I I think that Absolutely. it's closer. I think it's closer. Neither guy was just like off the charts Hall of Fame level, but Jimmy Smith burned very very brightly for a, a you know a period of time. Okay. Uh, all right. I, that was just a question, just a, a little point of order. Just wondering if we want to discuss that. All right. My next other guy is a guy that everyone knows and uh, has been kind of an other guy for his entire career. That's Darren Sproles. Other guy, Hall of Fame, in my opinion. He is always, you know, he was behind LT. Other guy to who, though? Who's the other guy? Well, Who's the other guy to? Danian Tomlinson. In his best years in San Diego. I mean, he was the other guy. So he maybe became the guy a little bit, but he's always the other guy. And so uh, I think he's he's one of the best other guys ever because he's not a featured back. He's not a guy who can carry the ball, you know, 200 plus times a year, but he's fantastic. He's electric. He reminds me actually a lot of my running back right now at Tennessee, Jojo Smalls. 3 p.m. is my SEC championship game. Also reminds me of Ricky Squeaks at Texas Tech. I love the uh, shorter backs that that kind of, you know, squeak by. I remember back when Sproles was coming out of Kansas State, he was referred to as a poor man's Reggie Bush. The reality is he had the career Reggie Bush was supposed to have, right? Sproles became, at the NFL True. level, the guy that Bush was supposed to be. Um, I, I, other, I don't know that he just – because he never really he's, – he's not a there's, – there's not two of him on a team. That's my point. It's not like – there's a Darren Sproles and another Darren Sproles. If he was on a team with Reggie Bush and Reggie Bush was Gale Sayers, then Darren Sproles is the other guy. So I that that one confuses on me a, a little bit. With, but well, that's fine. That's fine. You're but it's, confused it's different all the time. You're getting, it's a different there, you're getting up there in age where you get yes, I am. a lot. Yes, yeah. I am. I, here's one. Speaking of uh, my age and something I can relate to, Rocky Blyer, the all-time running back other guy. Pittsburgh Steelers running back, great story, Vietnam veteran, had a war injury. They did a movie about him. He was the other guy to Franco Harris, key component of the Steelers' offense of the 70s, back when they actually used two running backs on a regular basis. Go back and watch some of those old games. Running backs and receivers in a three-point stance before the snap. It is jarring to see how different it was. And you the, the old pro set. You had the quarterback under center, and you had two running backs, one on each side, and it was 32-20, and 20, and Rocky Blyer was uh, in. Because the, the, the immaculate reception cemented Frank O'Harris as the guy in Pittsburgh for as long as he was going to be there. But Rocky Blyer, a very 
very competent, very successful, and still a hero in Pittsburgh as the other guy in the 70s. Okay, I'll go with my last pick. Um, hmm. By the way, I looked up who was the backup quarterback for Chris Sims in his senior year in Texas. What a name. You ready for it? You probably never heard this name. You Go ready ahead. for it? Chase Mock. Chase Mock. How's that a name? Chase Mock. Yeah. I... <laughs> I uh, well, yeah I, I don't even remember what inspired you to look that up but yes that I is was a strange up name. To maybe see if if Chris had uh, you know someone or he was the other guy to someone else. I guess he was yeah kind to of the Major other Applewhite. Guy for, Major Applewhite. To Major right, Applewhite. Right. Yeah. But Chase Mock, what a name, Chase <laughs> Mock. Uh, all right, I'll go with my last one. I will go with um, let's go let's go Jerome Brown after Reggie White. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. The other guy. Yeah, but yeah, Clyde Simmons. I mean, it's a four-man unit, so it's re- this is more conducive to when you have two. You got one, and you got the other. I'm not going to quibble with you on that one. Other guys um, we- also works. I, I here's one that I have. I'm going to go a fourth round because we got a couple of minutes. You mentioned oh, I have Chris a fourth Carter round too. I have a fourth okay. round as well. You you you, you mentioned Chris Carter because my I've been I've been getting my son to do my 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 work for me on these drafts and give me ideas. He said Chris Carter also, and I said son, actually the ultimate other guy from that 98 Vikings team is Jake Reed. Timeout. What? Timeout. What? Timeout. Can we go backwards for a second when you said, uh, yeah, you needed help with this draft, and you just admitted that your son is just building the drafts for you. So I'm beating. <laughs> I just, let's just I'm, get this on the record. Let's just get on the record because this is great. This is great because what a slip up by you. I am it's beating not, I'm, two generations of Florio when I draft. Two generations. I've taken out your whole family tree every time we do this draft on Fridays. My, my son is gradually being introduced into the business, and I'm getting him involved in ways that I can, and I'm getting his input on these draft picks. And he said Chris Carter, and I said, let's take it one step farther. Jake Reed. They had the hats made up that said three deep. Jake Reed was a big part of that team. He was one of the only draft picks that panned out in the aftermath of the Herschel Walker trade. He was with the Vikings for a decade or so. And he was a very, very competent receiver for the Vikings. So if you think Moss and Carter, Moss and Carter, the other guy's Jake Reed. So give me Jake Reed. Okay. Uh, what about uh, Bill Belichick to Bill Parcells, the other guy? You could say Buddy Ryan too. I thought of Buddy Ryan. Bill, I like that's all right. I could, I could go with that. No, I, I don't could go think with so. That. Not anymore. But yeah, Buddy Ryan's actually a good one. Buddy Ryan is definitely a good one. You know, tying it all the way back to to the uh, Super Bowl being on. NBC Sports, 3 p.m. on Sunday. Nice little plug by me. Uh, that's a good one. That's a very, very good one. Other guy. All right. Well, I think we have exhausted the topic, but it was some fun, and uh, we're going to revisit. Oh, wait, wait. The more... Let me see it. Can, Go ahead. Can I see the? Can I see the ending? Can I see the draft? They they have it. Oh, they have it. There we go. What, so what's your, what's your, why did you want to see say... it? Well, because I was gonna. I was obviously gonna grade it. I barely won this one, but I did win this one. But I, I'll get, okay. I'll tell you this, Mike. You gave me your best shot today. That was as close okay. as it's been in a while. Maybe even the rivalry's Thanks. back on, even though you haven't beat me yet. Thanks. Are you done? Two generations of Florio I'm beating. Two. When we return, some props to Dak Prescott for the action. We've talked about words need to lead to action. Action from Dak Prescott in response to the murder of George Floyd and the societal changes that we're undergoing because of it. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this.
days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your players? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Gardner. I am Laquan McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown Jr. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I am Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So, on behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. It gets no less powerful the more times I see it, Big Cat. It is incredible. It is all over social media, and it really sends a powerful message. Well done by the players, and we will await the answers from the NFL. They ask for specific things, one of which is the ability to peacefully protest. And even though they didn't mention the anthem, that's what they're talking about. And uh, I saw a report somewhere, I think it was on TMZ, that – that video was actually sparked by Michael Thomas's reaction to what Drew Brees said earlier this week. On the same day that the Drew Brees issue reached a, a boiling point quickly, Dak Prescott made news that, that hasn't properly been credited for uh, not just issuing a meaningful and heartfelt statement about the current situation, but writing a check for a million dollars to help improve police training and education and advocacy as it relates to systemic racism so good for Dak Prescott and I'm not I'm not saying that every quarterback should write a check for a million dollars but as we go from words to action this is the kind of action that uh, someone of, of Dak Prescott's means and a, a starting NFL quarterback either who has a huge contract or who's on the brink of one this is something they can afford to do and it's good to see Dak doing it yeah absolutely and also the the idea you know there's always a rush uh whenever something happens in this country to Donate as fast as you can. And I think taking a pause and, and Dak Prescott doing this a few days after everything, you know, was really felt like was it a fever pitch. Uh, I just I just think that's always a great way to do it because you have a little reflection. You figure out where the money can best go instead of just trying to throw money at the first thing that you see. So, yeah, kudos to Dak. Uh, do you think this is a sign that his contract is coming? He's like, hey, I got the money now. No, no, he, he he's getting thirty one million this year. Even if he doesn't sign a long term contract, that's he, true. He, he'll, he'll 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 be fine. Um, but but I think the broader message to everyone is, regardless of what your job is, regardless of who you are, where you live, what you do, how much money you have or you don't have, there's a way that you can be part of this change. And as I've said all week long, there's no middle ground. You, you're either in favor of equality and justice for all, or you aren't. And you got to pick a side and you got to go with a big cat. Great seeing you as always. We're out of time. The show re airs uh, up next on NBCSN, and we'll see everybody on Monday.